the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to Difference Makers right here on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and somehow they gave me the privilege of being named Director of Local Ministries right here at True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, and even 93.1 L Ray. And if you want more information on our upcoming Experience Israel trip with Alistair Begg and Georgian Rice and Chris Kelly from The Fish, or you want to find out more about possible sponsorships of upcoming events like Fish Fest or Reventone, just shoot me an email, Mike Lee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. One of the things I love to do most in the Portland-Vancouver area is events. And one such event we are able to connect with is Western Seminary's annual women's conference, Ignite. And this year, I stumbled upon a brilliant author. Her name is Diana Green of Diana Green Ministries, who not only introduced herself and gave me a copy of her book, but she is here with us in the studio today. So how are you, Diana? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's very good to have you aboard. And after you gave me your information, eventually I looked you up online and you could find out more yourself and get into the details, friend. Diana Green with an E at the end, ministries.com. That's Diana Green with an E at the end, ministries.com. And you could find out some wonderful videos and pictures and information about what exactly Diana Green Ministries does. So I may as well ask you that in the first place. So what was the formation process of Diana Green Ministries? Formation? I started back in, oh, wow, 1986. I taught at Rogue Community College. A friend of mine who was director of Balancing Work and Family, she came and asked me if I would teach, and I said, I don't have a master's. I can't teach at your community college. And she said, no, you can teach under mine. You've been teaching at the church, and I want you there. So I started teaching, and I was there for a little over a year, and then my husband got a job in Arkansas, and so Marsha's boss came to me and said, before you go, I want you to teach the rest of the teachers how to teach. I said, you mean they, all, they have master's and doctorates, and I felt very intimidated, and she said, no, your classes have filled up. She said, because you use visual aids, because you entertain, and I want you to show, I want you to show others how to do that. Before so you leave. How did you get to this point? Obviously, you, you had this connection from your church who saw mm-hmm. what you did there. Mm-hmm. But you have to have some kind of a natural penchant for speaking to others and for presentations to be able to not just know stuff, but be able to convey it to others, to be an actual teacher. I don't know. When I was teaching, one of um, one of my adult students came up to me, and she was a teacher, And she said, you've taught before, or you've done drama. She said, you've done drama. I said, no, I've never been on stage. She said, you've never? I said, no. And it really wasn't until my youngest son was in high school that he asked me to join him in community plays. And I'd been teaching 
for, I don't know, 20 years at that point. Different, But I loved it. I loved being in theater. And so that kind of, that experience has helped me to hone some of those um, skills. So as a ministry leader, do you have a lot of education behind you? Did your family grow up with a lot of schooling? No, no. In fact, when I was in high school, I wanted to go on to college, and I talked to my counselor, and she said, you're not college material. She said, you cannot read fast enough. Uh, Your grades aren't good enough. You just can't go. So I went home, and I told my dad, who had been saving since I was 12, for me to go to college that she says, I can't go. And he said, no, that's ridiculous. He said, all it takes is money, and I've got the money. So you figure it out. Go talk to somebody who can help you. So I was editor of the school paper, and I went to my advisor, Mrs. Lutz, and she said, your father's right. All it does take is money, and I will help you. So she put uh, words up on a screen, and my I had to follow them. She told me what to do, and she did the paperwark because both my parents had only graduated eighth, graduated eighth grade, and she knew what to do. And so she helped me through it, and all the relatives that might have been able to help me were in Canada because we had come down from Canada. We were the only uh, people here in the States. But all of them, I, none of my cousins went to college either. So so this is a big deal for your family in particular. It was. It was. Although my dad's, actually, I take that back, my dad's younger brother did go to college. And the reason was my dad's dad died when he was 13. And so there was a family of 12 and his oldest brother had died in the war. So it was just him uh, Uncle Johnny and um, his youngest brother, and they, the two older ones, his brother, Uncle Johnny, and him went to the youngest one and said, you're smartest. You're the smartest one. So we're going to work, and we're going to put you through college. And they did, and he became an engineer. And so that's where Dad got the idea that I'm saving and you're going. Wow. So it seems like he had a lot more book smarts and common sense wisdom than the average person who maxed out at an eighth grade education. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got his GED later, but only because the guys at the mill kept, the key kept being passed up, so he finally became a foreman. Yeah. So what did your parents do? Uh, my mother stayed home. She would have liked to work. She even tried a little bit, but Dad was an old-fashioned kind of guy, and he wanted her at home. And... um my dad was a foreman at the mill, publisher's paper, in Newburgh. That's what brought us there uh, originally. We it, were in Montana for eight years. My parents married when I was 10. So my dad is adopted me. And they married when I was 10. And we went to Montana from Canada, from Vancouver, B.C. Well, that's neat. So yes. how was the transition from Canada to Newburgh? From Canada to Montana, actually, first, and then to Newburgh. When I first came here in fifth grade, of course, I had an accent. I would stand up and say my ABCs and say Z, and the whole class would burst out laughing. (laughs) They never heard of that. And the spelling color was always done with a U, so I didn't do very well in spelling because I had learned the King's English. Uh, It was different. I I think now that my son, um, my youngest son, has been over in China, and I have grandkids that were born there, they talk about third culture kids, and I realize now my son tells me I was the third culture kid because I had come from, I'd moved several different places, and the background was different than where I was growing up, and he said, you, you kind of have a feel for what it's like to be a third culture kid. It's kind of funny how God uses various experiences, including moves, to really mm-hmm. build us up for 
for future uses. So do you think that having those moves as a child helped you out as a mom and helped your son out as a result of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just um, because my boys had to move from Grants Pass. We had a tree farm there and it didn't go very well. Um, We had 60 acres there and we moved down to Arkansas. John had a job offer there and that company went under after six years. And so then we moved to Oregon City and then we moved over to Malala. So helping the boys adjust uh, was probably my background had a lot to do with helping that. But they also bounce pretty good. They're like their dad. They, uh, they're very logical, not as emotional like their mom. <laughs> well, it seems like you grew up in a strong family, and as a result, you're able to pass on a lot of these traits. So by all means, boast on your family, your <laughs> husband, your kids, your grandkids. Oh, yeah. My husband is... Uh, somebody told me when he went out to sea, I was doing an evangelization program at our church, and I was in charge of it, and John wasn't there. He had been part of the team, and this man came up to me, and he said, you know, I... Don't ever lose lose your husband. I said, what do you mean? He said, he's your balance. He's your balance. You kind of get off on different things. You get off on tangents. You go, you go here, you go there. And true, John is very logical, very methodical. Um, he keeps me uh, seeing a bigger picture when I get stuck. Um, I'm a, I tend to be a bigger picture, long, long-term kind of person. But John keeps me balanced in the moment. He's very good. So where did the two of you meet in the first place? At college. Uh, He had been in the Navy for three years, and he'd been working at Heister for two. And then he went, decided to go back to college. So we all had to take freshman English, and I was 18, just graduated. And we had an English teacher who stood up in front of us and said, you know, I met my husband. He was in, had been in the Navy and I was right out of college, and she was, like, telling the same story, our story. And everybody in the room turned around and stared at us when she was talking about her story, and she kind of laughed. And uh, when we got engaged, we went back and told her, we're getting married. And she said, I knew it, because you guys argued in class so much and just had different opinions about everything. And she said, I could tell that you definitely were attracted to one another. <laughs> That's so funny when you think about it. Opposites, I guess. Yeah. You know, they say the opposite of uh, love isn't hate, it's indifference. So the fact that you were able to clash at that young an age is good. So he- here you are, Diana Green, author and speaker, the girl who was not college material, going not only going to college, but meeting your future husband there. Right, right. So do you remember the first moment you laid eyes on him? Um, no, actually, I remember him walking trying to catch up to walk me out of the classroom. And uh, he was inviting me to coffee. And he said something about John Green, you know, and this was an English clump class. And I said, who in the world's John Green? I thought he was some famous author or something. He said, me, it's me. I'm John Green. Would you like to have coffee with me? So that was the first time I really noticed him in class. Yeah. Well, that seemed to work out. Yeah. Plenty of surprises coming from author and speaker Diana Green of Diana Green Ministries. It is a Christian-based ministry that seeks to help out individuals in identifying their struggles and their values, as well as their needs and their beliefs. And Diana Green Ministries also assists people in forging stronger relationships with themselves, with others, and with God. And I guess uh, the tagline from your, your website, at least, is bridging the hearts of men and women to the heart of God 
by rekindling hope. And now more than ever, I think we need a good dose of that hope in this hopeless world. We're, we're fed so many lies and deceptions and despair is so easy to come to for various reasons. And some of them are very well justified. A little bit more by Diana. She graduated from Western Seminary with a Master of Arts in Specialized Ministry, and she does spiritual formation. So when we get back from the break, I'd like to find out more about what spiritual formation is and what you do with that, Diana. And she's also a retreat and conference speaker and the author of Undivided Hearts, which is a a lovely set of books and workbook information all in one fell swoop, as well as Where is the Water? And her very latest release is Winter Has Passed. You can find out more about Diana Green at her website, which is dianagreenministries.com. And Green is spelled G-R-E-E-N-E. That's dianagreenministries.com. More with author and speaker Diana Green next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Local speaker and author Diana E. Green leads Diana Green Ministries, and she's also written Undivided Heart, Where is the Water, and her latest release is Winter Has Passed. So, Diana, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Earlier on, we were talking about how you met your husband as uh, a college freshman. Here's Mm -hmm. the girl, Diana, who they said was not college material, Mm -hmm. and yet you had that one mentor figure in your life. Right, Mrs. Lutz. And she was able to inspire and encourage. And sometimes we listen to the doubters and the naysayers. And I'm not saying that you should do something that you're definitely not wired to do. All right. I'm 5'8", 150 pounds soaking wet. I will never, ever play in the NFL. And I can live with that. All right. So I'm not talking about people going on The Voice or X Factor or American Idol who have no business singing in public unless Mm. they're enjoying doing it. Mm. But sometimes... We can be discouraged from things that we do have a calling in. So do you have any suggestions or advice to maybe younger people growing up that maybe have a dream or a vision and they're not being encouraged in it like Mrs. Lutz did for you? Yes. Prayer is huge. Uh, When I was nine, I went out lilac butch and prayed. And I believe the Holy Spirit led me to go across the street and sit on the neighbor's step and wait for them to come out and ask them if they would take me to church. So just because your parents don't go, your family doesn't go to church, that shouldn't stop you from finding a way to, uh, to go to church, to be, with, to be with other people who know something about God, because it, it was the Holy Spirit that kept me going, that kept me uh, pushing if you've got a dream and people don't feed into that, you know, you know that you were built this way, that this is what you were meant to do. At a very young age, women, well, women, they were young girls, would come and talk to me. And I would talk to them um, about what was going on in their family, about their feelings, about their relationships. They didn't have anybody at home to talk to. And in high school, I did that a lot. And my mother told me not to get too involved in other people's lives. But they needed someone to talk to. They weren't getting that at home. And so when you know you, you just, it's like um, if you're a teacher, you're going to teach. When I was in the corporate world, I was an administrative secretary. But I love to teach. And so I did seaside conferences. Uh, I started something 
in one of the places that I taught called Brown Bag Lunch. And for free, they could come and I would teach them the material I used to teach when I was working at Royal Community College and when I was working in Arkansas doing my own business there. So what subject were you teaching at this point, Diana? um, Communication, teaching communication, uh, stress management, um, time management, and also feelings. Um, Communication was something that Rogue Community asked me to teach at the very beginning, and I started with their material, but I discovered that how can people give an I message, I feel, when, because when they don't know how they feel. They had no clue. All they could say is, I'm angry. That's all they could. And so I started to do some research on my own and to study about feelings and um, look at how the feelings were connected. And I taught that first. I taught them about feelings and where they're coming from. And then I taught them how to communicate. And that worked really well. That worked really well. And that's what, that was the background that got me going in, in my books at the beginning, the first book is about reconnecting with yourself and connecting with God. Now, and is then, that Undivided Heart? That's Undivided Heart. That's Okay, so what's the overall premise for Undivided Heart, which has a, a wonderful colored workbook included with the materials, and that may even be more important than reading the text itself alone, right? Well, the chart's in the back, working through them. What I'm trying to help people do is identify the problem, identify what's going on in their life, identify their feelings, and then from that, understand how um, those feelings are related and connected to the Beatitudes and how they're connected to the fruits of the Spirit. If you think about it, the fruits of the Spirit are faith, love, hope, peace, kindness, compassion. All those are also feelings that we have. And so I show how those feelings are connected with the eight Beatitudes and how those fruits of the Spirit are connected. That's what Jesus was trying to teach in the Sermon on the Mount. He was trying to show us that we could live. People say, well, you can't live those. You can't live the Beatitudes. That's wrong. That's not true. You can, through through the Holy Spirit and through those fruits of the Spirit, you can live those Beatitudes. Yes, you can't do it on your own. Absolutely. You need Christ. You need Christ in you to do it. So do you think a lot of Christendom just kind of puts things up on a pedestal to a degree where they're unapproachable? Like, oh, that's a nice ideal, but we'll never reach that on earth. And maybe sell themselves short or sell short God working mm-hmm. through them. Right. Sell short God working through them. That's exactly it. We can't do it on our own. You have to spend time alone with him. You have to spend time praying. And once you do that, once you know who he is through the scripture— you read the scripture, you got to make sure you hang on to your plumb line. And then when you pray and the Lord leads you, um, you develop a relationship with him where you can hear him all day long. Christ heard him all day long. When he was among the crowd, I believe that um, the spirit, um, he was part human, part divine. And the Spirit would speak to him, and he would be able to um, reach out to people, say different things. Um, it's like when you're, when you're doing spiritual direction or spiritual formation with people, you're listening. You're listening to the conversation. You're listening to what they're saying. But you're also listening for what's going on behind what they're saying. But you're also in communication with the Lord at the same time. He's talking to you. He'll say to me, did you hear what they just said? 
did you hear what um, their pain there? And he'll point it out so that, and he'll even tell me what questions to ask them to get deeper at that. So it's the same same thing when you are um, moving towards um, a deeper relationship with the Lord. You want to you want to develop that point where you can hear Him all day long. You you you're bathed in Him. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure, I understand what you're getting at. Do we sabotage ourselves? Do we fill up our lives, our heads, our ears with so much of the world that we kind of cancel God out at times when He is trying to communicate with us? Oh, absolutely. I've had lots of people say to me, "I can't." pray all the time. I have to work. I have to concentrate on what I'm doing. What they don't understand is the Lord will help you get through that. When you're when you're stressed out and you've got you're overwhelmed and you've got all these things you have to do, if you'll just sit back and ask the Lord to show you which thing to do first and you just focus on that and then trust him, he'll show you what to do next. You you're living like Frankel talked about you're in in the uh, concentration camps. You are living one step at a time, one step at a time. You don't have to conquer the day in five minutes. You've been given 24 hours. How many minutes is that to go through the day? So you don't have to take it all on at once. Just walk through it a step at a time with the Lord, and he will show you. And you will be amazed at the end of the day how much you've accomplished because you've listened to him. You haven't really tried to take control. That's where we mess up is we have to have control. We have to do it our way rather than let him show us how he wants us to do something. I bet you have a lot of quiet in your life, Diana Green, author and speaker and the leader <laughs> of Diana Green Ministries. You'd mentioned growing up as a young girl that you had a loving family, but they weren't exactly a church-going family. So somehow God spoke to your heart to go across the street to the other family and latch on to their church-going habits. Uh, how old were you at this point? Nine. I was nine. I had a grandmother who taught me about Jesus, though. She uh, she didn't go to church herself. Um, she did as a young girl, but as an adult, she didn't. But she did. She taught me about Jesus. And my mom and I were living with them for that year uh, in their place. My mo- parents had separated and were soon to be divorced. And then my mother remarried when I was 10. So I have to correct you a little bit there because the man she remarried very much went to church and he made sure that I did. And I asked him if I could be baptized. I wanted to be baptized and he uh, took care of that. He made sure I was. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So how old were you when your faith became not your grandmoms and not your stepdads, but your own? When did you own it? Probably when I was 16. Billy Graham came into town, and I gave my life to Christ then. But I would say it really took when I was 19, and I lived on camp. I lived on campus with a bunch of gals, you know, in the dorm. But there were some Baptist gals who came to me and asked me if I would join them in a house that they were going to have off campus our sophomore year. And so there was five of us living together. Um, the significance of that is I grew up Catholic, and so they were asking me to be in the same um, house with them. And I watched them. I watched them do Bible study. That wasn't something that I had been taught at home. They did Bible study. Uh, I was asked to join with them, and 
uh, one particular summer, after I'd spent a year with them, I walked across the street to the school playground. There was nobody there. Of course, it was summer, and I gave my life to Christ then. And it was, uh, I don't know, less than a year, I actually heard him speak to me. Um, I guess I was 20. John and I were engaged at that point when I was 20, and I was uh, walking towards campus to meet him and a bunch of other people uh, at the MU Commons. And I was going by the tennis courts and uh, going up a hill. I watched a man from a very big truck uh, roll some books into the men's gymnasium. It had one of those elevators on the back of the truck that goes up and down, and he had put it up to a certain point. And I was watching him, and I was praying that nothing would happen to John or I. You know, you kind of get these fears when you're engaged and you're happy and everything's wonderful, but I was just praying that nothing would happen to us. And at that point, I heard, and I didn't realize I was hearing, I heard, what would you do if that truck started to roll down the hill at you? And I said, well, I'd run as fast as I could up the hill. And I was told, no, if you do that, you'll be trapped between the tree and the truck. And I said, what tree? And I was directed to the left of me, the tree, right right there, that tree. You'll be trapped between that tree and the truck. So run now behind that tree. And as I heard that, that truck started to roll down the hill at me. Uh, and I ran and I... And I heard, as I got to the tree, I heard this crunching sound, and that truck had hit the bark. It was, it was the bark from the tree. It hit the tree, and I couldn't believe it. I was just speechless, like like um, Elizabeth's husband, you know, when he found out that, that uh, she was going to become pregnant with John the Baptist. I came from behind that DMV trailer, and there was a guy coming from campus, and he said, Are you all right? Are you all right? I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I couldn't say anything because I was realizing at that point something told me that that was going to happen. And I had missed, I'd missed uh, being killed, really. And the guy came out of the gym, the gym, the man who had gone in there with the books, and he started yelling, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot to turn on the emergency brake. I'm sorry. And it was at that point from 19 on that the Lord, I started tuning in because the Lord actually spoke to me. We're speaking with local author and speaker Diana E. Green. More information on her website, dianagreenministries.com. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here with local author and speaker Diana E. Green of Diana Green Ministries. And that was some story that you just shared with us about how God had spoken to you about what would you do if that truck rolled. And he directed you to safety. Mm -hmm. And so much of the time, uh, not all of us are so fortunate to really have that strong a voice of God in our head or in our ears. But something that I want to encourage us would be with the Bible verse right now. And it would be Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And you know what? All the bumper stickers and all the slogans and all the memes tend to leave off the 13th verse. And that would be, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Okay, so that's 11 and 12. But mm-hmm. They often leave out verse 13, which is, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Yes. So as a girl who moved around from Canada to Montana, the girl who was told she was not college material as a college freshman and then meeting her future husband. 
and, and getting engaged. Did you ever do anything consciously to make those opportunities more evident or more clear to hear from God? I oh, mean, were you yeah. ever in a point where you, you just were actively, intentionally seeking his still small voice? Oh, yes. Once I gave my life to the Lord at 19, once I had done that, I consumed the Bible. I, I couldn't stop reading it. And that's the way my life has been, where I'm reading scripture, prayer. Prayer is huge. Spending time alone with, with the Lord. You know, we can do Taco Bell prayers, drive on the way to work and pray. That's what I call a Taco Bell prayer. A Taco Bell prayer? Yes. You're, you know, where you're, <laughs> you're eating on the run and in, it's not even a banquet of food. But at some point, you need a good banquet. You need one day a month to just come aside and just be with the Lord and just pray, read scripture, do Bible study, and sit and listen. Just close your mouth, stop talking, and just listen. Let him speak to you. And I started doing that uh, at a very young age, actually. I was um, in college, but where I really remember was when I was 34. I had an experience of the Lord, a, a Holy Spirit awakening, I guess you would say. And um, I was 34, and I didn't really, I, I didn't really have a routine. I had that pointed out to me by a few of my friends. I didn't really have a routine how to clean the house or do stuff. And I started to um, read books on time management and realized I needed to get up before the kids. I needed to get up out of bed. And so I started doing that uh, about a half hour before the kids got out of bed, and then an hour before the kids got out of bed. And my oldest son, whenever he'd hear somebody up, you know, that was time to get attention. And so I told him he, he needed to stay in bed until at least 7 o'clock. And he knew how to read the clock. He needed to stay there, and then he could come out. Oh, right on the money, boy. He would be out of that room, right at seven o'clock. But I would have that time alone with the Lord, and it was important. And you know, that same kid, when I was, when he was in high school, when we were here in Oregon, when he was in high school, I'd come home from work, and I'd just be, he'd go, Mom, I know it can't be me, because, you know, we haven't even seen each other for one minute yet. Must be something that happened at work. But he'd say, did you get your time alone with the Lord today? And I'd say, no. And he said, yeah, well, go, go now. Go, go take that time now. He'd tell me, um, he'd cover whatever, you know, get dinner, do something. But he'd tell me that I needed that time alone with the Lord. He could tell immediately that I hadn't had it. How many kids do you have, Diana Green? Two, two boys. Yes. Yes. I wanted, I wanted boys. I know my youngest has asked me if I ever wanted a girl and actually, no, I wanted two boys. And the reason was because girls take a lot of work. <laughs> and they also are expensive. You know, they, they require a lot of clothes and all kinds of stuff. But my oldest is um, in Bath, New York, working in Bath, New York. He's actually in Wayland, New York, living. But he works in Bath, New York. He's a psychiatric nurse. He works for the VA there and has a lot of responsibility and does really well. He wanted to do international business, he thought. And then someone told him, you know, you ought to be a nurse. Turned out that was great. He became a nurse. And as he took psychology classes, he said, man, I'm ace in all these. I already know all this information. 
Now, did that come from you, I wonder? He said so. He said he grew up knowing this stuff, using this stuff, being taught this stuff. And that's when he decided he wanted to be a psychiatric nurse because that he was a natural. He's definitely a natural at it. So that goes back to your early book, Undivided Hearts. A lot of us, whether we've grown up in the church or we haven't, often come up with a question, well, God, give me direction. And half the time we're filling up our lives and our heads with so much that we're not listening to him, if, even if he was giving us direction. Mm-hmm. And the other half of the time, we don't want the direction we're getting. So we, we doubt ourselves, oh, that can't be it. Mm-hmm. So how does your first book, Undivided Heart, address some of these issues and doubts and you know, seeking direction? I, I've talked to some women and they say, oh, I don't hear God. I can't hear God. And after I start working with them and I show them, that's God. That's God speaking to you right there. And they'll go, it is? I said, yeah. And they go, well, I guess I wasn't sure I wanted to hear God. I said, why? Because I'm afraid of what he might tell me to do. (laughs) They weren't sure they wanted to give their life fully over control. They gave their life to the Lord. And then it's like they take part of it back instead of just giving the entire thing over He knows exactly how they're wired, how they're made, and what he wants them to do. And I've spoken to so many women who are confused and don't know exactly which direction to go. And after I show them, the Lord is showing you, they find their passion. They find their passion and they change what they're doing and they move in the direction he's been trying to get them to go. And they realize for years. Deep down inside, we don't want to give up control 100%. We no. want just enough no. so we get what's coming to us. Yeah, but exactly. we still want to call all the shots. And that's one of the lies. In my first book, in the step four, I talk about the lies. There are four major lies. I know there are books that say, oh, there's 17 or there's 15 or there's, I don't know, several different lies. I know there's books out there. And I sat down, I'd read those books, and I told the Lord, you know, I cannot keep all these lies in my head to try and realize when they're happening. My husband, when I send him to the store, he says to me, if it's more than three or four items, you need to write it down for me because I can't remember. So I told him, I want people to be able to hold the lies that there are in their head. So help me. And so I sat and I listened and I waited. And the Lord said to me, all lies are against the Trinity. And I thought, all lies are against the Trinity. That must mean there are three lies, a lie against the Father, a lie against the Son, a lie against the Holy Spirit. And as I started working with it, I realized there's actually four lies because one of the lies is against the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the one. I must be in control is the one because the God the Father is in control. God the Father has the power. And so does the Son and so does the Holy Spirit because God is three, all those three persons in one, and they have the power and the control. And um, once we realize that, then we come to humility and surrender our life over and pray and start becoming more alert and listening and hearing what he has to say. That's one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's, that's where he wants us to be, surrendered, surrendered to him. And then we can... Um, face the other lies of, um, uh, I'm not ever going to be good enough. I, I, gotta, I need to have those in front of me, what they are. I'm losing. 
But by all means, go, go right look ahead. At my book. The book's <laughs> name is Undivided Heart, which includes some incredible charts that are very well laid out and organized. This is not uh, a read and toss aside book. It's more of an interactive educational experience that will make you do some self-reflection and look at yourself and ask some of your more uncomfortable questions, mm-hmm. which will get you to a better place. And sometimes we don't want to get to that better place. So we'll make up excuses. We'll say, oh, I'm just waiting for the big neon light in the skies for God to direct me and then I'll follow. But deep down inside, even if that neon light was there, we'd find an excuse. Oh, it must not be from God. Maybe it's aliens or something. <laughs> that's not the one I, That's not the one I envisioned. Right. there, And these charts in the back are tools. So just like when you make a cake, you don't throw the beater away, you don't throw the mixing bowls away. The charts are for every single um, story that you are having tr- stress or trouble figuring out. That's why I've made the charts available online. Once you buy the book, you can download the charts because you do use them over and over and over again. And we're going to find out more information on that online. You could look up Diana Green's website. Now, she spells her last name G-R-E-E-N-E, and her website's address is dianagreenministries.com. That's dianagreenministries.com. We're speaking with local speaker and author Diana E. Green of Diana Green Ministries right here on True Talk 800. Thank you for joining us on Difference Makers on True Talk 800 with Diana E. Green of Diana Green Ministries, who was explaining some of the lies that we're buying into and how to address them and really delve into what God has in store for us. So what advice do you have for us, Diana, regarding these lies that we are believing to the point where maybe we believe some lies for so long it's ingrained in us and we don't even see them? Yes, absolutely. Some of those come out of your family background. The... The four lies, the first one that we were talking about, I must be in control. You can say, um, I, I have to take care of everyone. I can't have any fun. I've got to have the control here. And that's a lie. It's against the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The truth is God is in control. God is all-powerful. That's the truth. And the next one is, I am unlovable. People say it in different ways. Um, I never should have been... I need to be perfect. Nobody cares. Look at me. I'm too homely, too stupid, too rotten to be loved. I can't make it through college. Those lies of I'm unlovable, that's a lie because the truth is I am deeply loved. Jesus loves me. That's the truth. And hang on to that. And the next one is I am nobody. Um, No one listens to me. I am discounted. I must be quiet. Nobody understands me. The truth is I belong. I'm adopted into God's family. And the last, I cannot do anything right. No matter how good I am, I'll never be good enough. I'll never please them. That's a lie because I have wisdom and power in the Holy Spirit. The Lord showed me when I was listening to Pastor John at Grace Church there in Malala, listening to a sermon he was giving about Moses and the burning bush. And after I had written my books, the Lord said, see, these lies are right in Scripture. Moses at the burning bush, he didn't have the control issues. He took off his shoes. He approached the Lord in humility. But when he did that, um, the Lord told him what he wanted to do. And he said, no, no, the people, they might, they might not um, 
they might not want me to come talk to them. You know, he was saying, I'm unlovable. He was saying, I'm nobody. I, I can't talk right. I can't do it. You, you, Lord, have given me this tongue that doesn't speak properly. Um, he spouts all those lies, and the Lord refutes every one of them. You might look at it, where Moses in the burning bush. I don't remember the chapter and verse of where that's at right now. But uh, that's worth Think about it. If a rock star of the Bible like Moses had doubts hearing directly Mm -hmm. from God, Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's natural. It's expected for us, regular, normal people, sons and daughters of God, nonetheless, to have our doubts, to have our issues. And sometimes we need to own them Mm -hmm. and we need to admit when we bought into these lies and address them and not stay in there. Right. And to address them is it requires coming aside and looking at your day. Sitting down with the Lord, looking back over the day, whether you do that in the evening or whether you do it early in the morning, and just like he's a director of a play, showing you that cut of the movie, you know, where you can look at the director's cut and the director is showing you what's going on in the background. He'll show you what was going on during your day where he was trying to talk to you or he was trying to show you something and you missed it because... Of course, we have to focus when we're driving down the road. We have to focus when we're working on something. But our brain takes all that stuff in, takes every bit of it in. And so when you come aside with the Lord and you just sit quietly, he will show you how you move through your day, the previous day. He will show you how you um, uh, ignored him or how you actually did hear him and followed through. He also gives you that encouragement. You are hearing me. You are doing what I'm asking you to do. He um, shows you where he is in your day. So that these living parables, people say, oh, I don't get messages from God. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, write on a note for me. No, he's trying to reach us every single day. Jesus taught about the parables, the living parables, um, those we, we study sheep, we study all these things that as city people, we don't know anything about sheep. I live in the country, so I know a little something about sheep. But that's not the point. That, that was what he used back in that day because that's what people understood. Nowadays, if you talk about, well, you know, I can't get any cell service unless I go on top of the mountain and, and get that spot where I can hear him, that would be something that Jesus would talk about. He'd talk about cell phones now, and he would talk about computers, and he would talk about everyday things that we use to help us to understand how he is trying to break through, trying to break through our defenses and help us to grow in him. That's what he would use, and he is using it. You just have to pay attention. I love your illustration about taking the cell phone to the top of the mountain to get the best coverage. Yeah, when my husband is elk hunting, he says, I couldn't call you, honey, because I would have had to drive up to the top of the hill and get that signal. (laughs) And it's not always good weather to do that. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the catchphrases on your website is bridging the hearts of men and women to the heart of God by rekindling hope. And what I want to note is the word hope is capitalized. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yes. Uh, Lots of times when I'm have a printer doing flyers for me. They want to make a small H. I say, no, I want that capitalized hope is, is Christ. Rekindling the Christ in the hearts of people. That's what I'm trying to say. Hope is capitalized for a reason because it represents Christ. Yes. So that's basically the overall premise of why you formed Diana Green Ministries then, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I was trying um, to 
reach out to men and women who are caught up in this world, um, in stuff, in the priorities that that are not God's priorities. You know, my children, my youngest, has been working in China for six years, and he's been home this last year on sabbatical. He's going to school, getting his master's from Liberty University, and he also is working for China part-time. He can do that over the Internet. He works for international schools of China. But they teach me how little you can get along with. They have to pack everything, their life, into suitcases, into a couple of suitcases. And you know what it's like at the airport now. You have to pay extra. And they depend on the Lord when they get to where they're going to provide what they're going to need for their home, for people to be generous, to give them what they need, for the Lord to provide the money to get what they need. We don't have to center our lives around stuff. We need to center our lives around the Lord himself and realize he will provide everything. Uh, the verse in Matthew, seek and, and knock, ask, and he will you know, give you what you need. That is so true. That is where I started in, in back in 1985-86, where realizing that I needed to seek, I needed to knock, I needed to listen to the Lord. And uh, my younger son and his, his wife are very good examples of letting go and just depending on the Lord for your existence. It's so easy for us, me in particular, to become a hoarder. Oh, this is good. This is still useful. Because I had parents grow up in the Depression era, right. and they never threw out anything. Right, like, exactly. Wasting of any food is considered mortal sin, practically, in a Chinese family, at least. But in our last two minutes, uh, I love the fact, Diana Green, that you've given us some practical advice, whether it's your first book, Divided Heart, with its charts and uh, workbook opportunities in particular, or just your obedience to God in getting up a half an hour, an hour before the kids wake up so that you were able to spend that quiet time. So in our last minute or so, do you have any um, other great brief tidbits of advice that we can put boots on the ground and use right now? Love. Just love. Be honest. This last year, like I said, I've been living with my daughter-in-law and uh, my son, and my daughter-in-law have deepened our relationship with one another because we have done the hard work of communicating of letting one another know, you think differently than me. Let, let me tell you how I, how I see this. And we've been able to talk things through. And because of that, our love for one another has grown. You think, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'll just put it under the rug. You know, we'll get through this. No, that does not work. You need to talk to one another. You need to really love one another by being honest, by being truthful, and by uh, exposing yourself sometimes. Maybe that's why the Bible tells us not to go to sleep on our anger or on our differences. So yes. thank you so much for sharing hope with us today. Diana E. Green, author and speaker out of Malala. Her ministry group is Diana Green Ministries. Green is spelled with an E at the end. You can find out more on her website, dianagreenministries.com. And check out the information on her books, On Undivided Heart. That's the one with the charts we're referring to mm -hmm. a lot today. Yes. And also on Where is the Water? And her very latest release is Winter Has Passed. Again, to find out more on her website, dianagreenministries.com. Thanks so much for coming on today, Diana. I really appreciate so your company and uh, your teaching abilities. You've been listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.